Eagles Entertainment. The journey of the draft is driven by AAA. AAA roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 21st pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we are at our 250th episode, which is a little fun. It's pretty cool to be able to reflect back. Now, this was our first podcast we started with Eagles Entertainment, so to hit the uh, the milestone 250 is, is pretty fun. So, top of the show, we're going to go Saturday scouting. Ben Fennell is back. We're going to talk about some of the matchups to watch this weekend in college football. We're also going to talk about what we look for in the off-ball linebacker position. So make sure you stay tuned for that segment in Saturday scouting. Next up after that, we've got uh, Mr. Relevant with Ben Solak, a co-host from the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. He's been on the show numerous times before. We'll talk about actually a couple of his previous visits as well as the people that have stood out to him so far. Which prospects have really kind of raised his eyebrows a little bit so far in the 20s. 2020 season and then after that we've got pick six ross tucker is back we're going to see where we kind of stack up right now in our weekly competition on pick six and we'll wrap the show up uh with that segment with ross so before we get started into the show again best way to throw us your support if you want even if you want to just throw us some congratulations 250 episodes in uh just go on apple podcast or stitcher leave us a rating leave us a comment if you've got a question we will answer it in our draft mailbag segment every single monday if you've got a mock draft throw it on there guaranteed way to make it onto the show all right let's get things started here it's time now for saturday scouting it's time for saturday scouting Well, joining me once again here for Saturday Scouting on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, my friend Ben Fennell. Ben, uh, another fun weekend of college football ahead of us, man. We had uh, we kind of dove into uh, what we saw from last weekend, earlier this week with Dane. Now it's time to pre- you know kind of preview what we're expecting for this Saturday. I'll go to you first. Uh, what's one one-on-one matchup that you are most excited about here moving into this Saturday? Well, we're going to go with the ACC. I know we're in the thick SEC play now in week two, but uh, we're going to stay in the ACC. I really want to see more of, <clears throat> excuse me, of Chaz Surratt, North Carolina. He's going to be going against Boston College this week. So that's some big, burly offensive linemen in the run game. They love the screen game as well. You might see some of those guys out in space on the perimeter. I just want to see how he handles maybe some NFL-caliber linemen and NFL-caliber type of run scheme where he's going to get Alec Lindstrom up on him in some zone schemes. And I want to see if he could stack and shed and get off some blocks. And uh, there's some real dudes on that offensive line, whether it's Zion Johnson or the right tackle uh, is uh, – Passing me right now, what his name is, but I forget the senior's name. Yeah, yeah, yeah but there's a couple guys on that offensive line that are uh, really good-looking players. Uh, you you spoke a little bit about Lindstrom uh, at the end of Monday's episode. Uh, tell us, give us a little bit uh, of background on Lindstrom. He was a guy that I talked about over the summer. I loved him. I was glad to hear uh, that you were high on him as well when you watched him over the weekend. Yeah, I put on his Duke tape uh, from a couple weeks ago. I just want to see how he handled uh, Chris Rump and some of those guys on the Duke D line. Nasty, nasty player, finisher, mauler, loves to help out his guards when he's uncovered, never afraid to play to the echo of the echo of the whistle. Right, which yep. you, you love to see from offensive linemen. Uh, obviously, his brother Chris with the Atlanta Falcons already has that NFL pedigree. I know NFL scouts are all over this Boston College offensive line. Yeah, so for my my uh, pick, we got the big showcase game that we've talked about a couple times here on the show. North Dakota State, quarterback Trey Lance, the left tackle Dylan Raddins. Uh, they're taking on Central Arkansas this weekend. And 
the matchup, I mean, all eyes are going to be on Trey Lance. You know, is this going to be uh, his last game in college? Is he going to declare afterwards or is he going to go back to school? Uh, you know, that'll be obviously a big storyline in this matchup. And so looking at Trey Lance, the the big, the number one prospect for Central Arkansas is a corner, and that's Robert Rochelle. We've talked about him a little bit here on the show this summer. And I think when you look at Robert Rochelle, his big thing, look, he he's long. The test scores that are reported are crazy. He was on the freak list, and, and I think you see some of that when you watch him on film. I don't know if he quite matches, but you see a guy that's a, a big kid that moves well. Number one thing with him, though, He's got outstanding ball skills. He plays the ball really, really well in the air. He's got a nose for it. He's always around the rock. And what's the big stat with Trey Lance? Last year, zero interceptions all season long as an every-game starter for the national champ. So I think when you look at Trey Lance, could that streak end here against a true ball-hawking defensive back in Robert Rochelle? Something to kind of watch here when North Dakota State's got the football in this game, man. What do you think the impact of this game is? If Trey Lance has a great game, worst game, you know, what is the ripple effect of this game based on his evaluation? What if he goes out and they get blown out and he throw five, throws five picks? Is it kind of a throwaway game based on the body of work from the entire last year? It's a good question, and that's why I think that a lot of people have brought into question, like, well, why, why play in it? If, if you're going to come out. If you're going to come out, why play in this one game? If you're not going to come, if you're going to go back to school, cool, play this, play this game without question. Um, you know, but I think that that's why some people have brought that into question. I think it's a it's a smart discussion to have. That being said, if he were to come out, which you and I have both been on the record on the show saying we would like him to go back to school. Get another, I mean, we're talking about a redshirt sophomore this year and a guy that started you know all of a, of a freshman season. Now he's going to get one game as a sophomore and then declare. I mean, that, that's not a, a very large sample size. That being said, we both love the talent. We both are intrigued by his future and his upside. I think if you go into this game and he doesn't have a huge performance, uh, let's just say it's not even you know five picks and then they get blown out. Let's just say that uh, you know he does throw one pick and like one touchdown and it's just kind of mediocre man I don't know if that moves the needle all that much um if he comes out and throws three touchdowns and no picks maybe now the buzz builds and now the 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 lore builds even more I don't know it's it's going to be interesting I mean Dane has said it before here on the show that um there's maybe more to lose than than to gain by playing in this one game but look it's it's going to be it's going to be a big matchup it's not going to be on tv it's going to be on ESPN plus you can watch that digitally um what's your feeling on that it's such a unique circumstance uh you know, with this one, one game season. So I don't really know what to make of it. You know, teams usually need a couple of weeks to hit their stride and figure out their identity and kind of dust off the cobwebs and get their, you know, continuity back. And I just don't really know what to make of a kind of a one and done for lack of better words. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be a really interesting discussion, uh, not just for this weekend and next week, but for the next, the weeks to come afterwards until we hear the official announcement there from Trey Lance one way or another. But anyways, uh, let's spin this back yeah, to the what's power. Your, what's your, I was gonna say, what's your second matchup? Here? Let's go to on down South. And I got a great matchup for you this week, Fran. It's kind of an unsung one. I don't think a lot of people are focusing on like they should be. And that's Sam Ellinger, quarterback, University of Texas, facing TCU. That's Gary Patterson's defense, ball hawking safeties, and Trevon Morig, Ardarius Washington. This was a game Sam Ellinger threw four picks last year and lost. He's second in the Power Five this year and throwing the ball down the field. They're aggressive. They love to chuck it. And TCU has some ball hawks on the back end. They gave a lot of problems to Brock Purdy last week, even though they somehow lost that game. I just think that's a really good matchup. And coming off of that game last year, where it was probably one of Ellinger's worst games and worst performances, I would really like to see him bounce back and, uh, 
you know, that TCU defense can really rattle quarterbacks with that scheme on the back end. So just want to see how he kind of rallies back and he looks really good in 2020. Who is your, of the guys on that TCU defense, who is it that really kind of like gets your juices flowing? Who, who is it that you're most excited about? Well, our Darius Washington put up a ridiculous freshman season. I'm a little concerned about his size, but anytime you come away with five interceptions as a freshman, that's obviously an eye-popping, uh, you know, production. But Trevon Morig probably seems like more of a prototypical NFL safety with some cover skills, uh, but they're definitely a really intriguing one-two punch. I think our Darius Washington is still just a little bit early right now. He's only a redshirt sophomore. Yep, no question. Uh, I'm going to stay down south for my second matchup here. We're going to go uh, Auburn-Georgia, huge one in the SEC. And there's going to be a lot of talk about the quarterbacks on both sides, you know, what's going on in the line of scrimmage. You know, obviously both teams have uh, players in the front seven that are, are worth talking about. Kenny Britt, uh, you know, or KJ Britt, rather, from um, from Auburn. Uh, you've got uh, Big Cat uh, Bryant off the edge. Then you go to Georgia. They've got those defensive tackles. They've got some guys off the edge that are young. I'm going to go to the secondary, though, and I'm going to look at Georgia's corners. So we're talking Tyson Campbell, Eric Stokes, DJ Daniel. DJ Daniel's the only, only senior from that trio, but we've talked about all three of these guys. Uh, all three of them are long. I really, really like Tyson Campbell. This guy is violent. You know, I, it's funny thinking about him. Uh, Marlon Humphrey, the corner from the Ravens, just got his big money deal uh, this, uh, this, uh, this week. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon. Um, it was announced this morning. Campbell really reminds me of Humphrey coming out of college. You know, when he came out of Alabama, he was long, he was explosive. He was really physical, really competitive, uh, you know, outstanding tackler, violent player, but he just, he struggled finding the football down the field. He was late to get his head around. He didn't always have that ability to turn and finish. And I think with Campbell, that's the same question you have. He doesn't have any picks entering his senior, his, uh, his junior season. The same thing with Eric Stokes doesn't have any picks on his resume entering his junior season. So I think when you look at these guys in this matchup against Auburn, obviously known for, you know, historically as more of a running offense. But I think when you look at Seth Williams, who's a, a junior receiver on the outside, this guy is uh, plays big boy football on the perimeter, low post basketball, throw up the jump balls, let him go up and out muscle these corners. Campbell, Stokes, Daniel, these are all big corners. They're all long. They can deter those over-the-top throws. They can make plays on the back shoulder. So, interesting to watch this matchup. And then they've got the burner uh, in Anthony Schwartz as well, who's one of the fastest players in the nation. So, uh, interesting matchup there with the Auburn receivers against the Georgia corners. Did you see Seth Williams' touchdowns last week against Yes, because silly. Yes. That's big boy football right there. That one in the left corner where he snatched it, pulled away from the DB, one-handed it, and then used the other hand to kind of push the DB off him. Some serious big boy catches there. But one last matchup, interesting matchup, going to Conference USA. Great game. UTSA 3-0 against UAB 2-1. Now, these guys aren't going to be facing each other per se, but there's going to be a race to the quarterback. And they're each SEC transfers. Charles Wiley, defensive end at UTSA, is leading college football in pressures right now with 18 through three games. He's kind of squatty. He's 6'2", 245. He's a grad transfer from Ole Miss. Played for three years down there. And then UAB has a guy in a much different package, Jordan Smith, 6'7", 255, redshirt junior. He's a Florida transfer, came, uh, left Florida with some off-the-field issues and some incidents off the field, seems to have settled down at UAB. He has 16 pressures through three games in 2020, just behind Wiley. Had a huge year last year, had nine pressures in a game against Tennessee. I think PFF had him as their fourth highest pass rush grade out of anybody in college football last year. Also good versus the run. So I think two guys, if you see that Conference USA game on, there's some NFL prospects on those 
those D lines. I haven't watched either guy, so now you got you got me a reason. You got work to, to do, Frank. Exactly right. Do. No question. All right, let's move into uh, our next segment here from Mock Draft Roundup, where every week we'll pick a mock draft that's out there on the internet, and we'll uh, see who they've got the Eagles selecting and the other players that are kind of going in that range. This week we're going to take a mock draft from Pro Football Network. Nick Farabaugh has the Eagles selecting at 14th overall. Here are the five guys going ahead of the Eagles. Now, number nine, you've got Denver Broncos selecting quarterback Justin Fields. You know, they've got Drew Locke there, a little bit surprising. 10th overall, the Miami Dolphins taking pass rusher Jason Owe. 11th overall, the Chargers taking the left tackle from North Dakota State, Dylan Raddins. 12th overall, the Jack- Jacksonville Jaguars taking safety Hamza Nazardine. And then 13th overall, the Las Vegas Raiders taking North Dakota State quarterback Trey Lance. Let's get your takeaway here, Ben. Uh, a couple interesting picks there. I haven't seen a whole lot of people putting the left tackle Dylan Raddins before Trey Lance, the quarterback, yeah. Yeah. which Trey Lance seems to be a consensus kind of top 10 pick. But uh, Radoons, am I saying that last name right? I, I actually, I haven't studied him yet. And so I, and you know that one of my pet peeves is like mispronouncing names. I know, but me since, too. Man. Since I haven't studied him, I haven't done the work on the name yet. And so I'm, I'm not 100% sure on him. All right, well, we'll go with Dylan for now. I feel sure. confident about that. But go, yeah, Dylan at left tackle there is a bit of an undersized, upright, tall, lanky guy. Reminds me a little bit of Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State last okay. year. Yep. Maybe a little bit of Daniel Brunskill that played right tackle for the Niners last year. But these are guys that serve survived at about 280, 285. Now Dylan's listed about 299, 295 now. He may be a little lighter than that, but I have some issues with his ability to anchor against power, especially NFL-like power. So the fact that he's going ahead of that prolific quarterback, uh, one of the first ones I've seen in a mock draft so far. And again, like you mentioned, Broncos going at Justin Fields over yep. the Drew Locke era there. I think that would definitely turn some heads. That that one is the one that, that does surprise me as well. And, and like I said, I haven't done uh, Dylan yet, the left tackle from North Dakota <laughs> State, but watching Lance over the summer, I mean, he does give up some pressure off that left side. And again, I wasn't studying him, but just seeing that he was giving up, uh, you know, especially to those speed to power rushers again, you know, from the Missouri Valley football conference, not necessarily even power five competition, but uh, that's going to be, you know, one of the things that I'll be interested to look at once I do dig in more into his film. Maybe we'll, uh, I'll keep an eye on it for the central Arkansas game whenever I get around to watching that game from this season. All right. So those are the five before the Eagles. Five after the Eagles. 15th overall, the Cleveland Browns taking Notre Dame linebacker Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. Vikings at 16 taking defensive tackle Marvin Wilson. 17th overall, the Chicago Bears taking wide receiver Rashad Bateman. 18th overall, the Arizona Cardinals taking cornerback Caleb Farley from the Virginia Tech Hokies. And then 19th overall, the Colts staying at corner. They're going to take Sean Wade from Ohio State. Ben, uh, takeaways there from those five. I don't see Caleb Farley falling that far. I don't. I love the prospect of putting him in that Cardinals defense with Buda Baker, maybe a couple more years of Patrick Peterson, Byron Murphy. They got Drake Kirkpatrick, Buda Baker. It's just a fun group on that back end to go with Isaiah Simmons, all those kind of hybrid players. Uh, But for him to fall to 18, I think would shock some people going ahead of Sean Wade as well is kind of interesting in the pecking order. Uh, But my one last note of these five, Owusu Korma from Notre Dame, I think will be one of the massive risers uh, throughout this whole college football season and draft process. Really interesting athletic player, hybrid player, safety linebacker. Seems like that prototypical sub package player the NFL is looking for. Yeah, and the other one that I would bring up, a couple there, Marvin Wilson. Um, he kind of, I'm not, I don't know if I'm completely sold there in the top 20, but he fits that 
style in Minnesota, right? Like you could see him playing on that defensive front, doing the things that, you know, even like what Linval Joseph has done uh, over the course of his career there playing for Mike Zimmer, uh, you know, if they're taking 16th overall, that that would make sense to me schematically and the things they value. Um, and at 17, the Bears taking Rashad Bateman. I mean, if they don't get things done with Allen Robinson, and I know the contract, they're still trying to kind of figure that out as of this taping and everything, but uh, Rashad Bateman, I've compared to Allen Robinson. So, Kind of fits. <laughs> Certainly yeah. fits. And, and like going uh, to the Vikings point. really fast, you have to kind of collectively project. And if they're, if they have what they have right now and are ready to reload for 2020, you go Yannick and Dockway, Daniel Hunter, Michael Pierce, and then Marvin Wilson. That's a really nice front four uh, in the NFC North. That's the only thing is I would say like, are you, is it eating too much into Michael Pierce by taking Marvin Wilson? Or do you want I don't think they're complimentative enough, no. but on paper, that's a really nice four. Yep, I would agree with that. All right, let's go to uh, the Eagles selection. Again, they're picking 14th overall. He's got them taking corner Patrick Sertan. Now, here's the blurb, and again, this is uh, from Nick. The Eagles and Carson Wentz have struggled early out of the gate. No matter how it's sliced, though, there are question marks opposite of Darius Slay. Avante Maddox is getting his opportunity now, but Sertan is an outstanding value here at a position of need with elite length and peskiness. Sertan gets physical and takes receivers right out of the play with his press technique. Given his playmaking ability and scheme versatility, this fit in Philadelphia makes sense for both sides. So, Ben, what are your thoughts on Sertan? Uh, here to the Eagles at 14. Let me look real quickly. I mean, you mentioned earlier, like, I, I, you didn't see uh, Farley falling that far. I don't see Sertan falling this far either. I think when you're talking about guys that have their their, their skill set, falling into 14 and 18 uh, would be surprising. So, yeah, if the Eagles got a, a Patrick Sertan-level player in the middle of round one, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing jumping jacks, uh, you know, in the I studio. think Sertan's going right in Okuda country around number right. three, four. And then I think Cale Fairley is going to go right in C.J. Henderson country. Yep. Right around 9, 10, 11. So if the Eagles are sitting there at 14 and Patrick Sertan is available, you better get an Olympic sprinter to run that card up with a ski mask on because that's highway <laughs> robbery to get him at 14th overall. And to pair him with Darius Slay and to right. have two press corners on the outside – Oof, that's a great proposition to have in Philadelphia for uh, you know a number of years. Uh, Darius Slay and, and Patrick Sertan Jr. I mean, that's that's a really really good pairing right there. Um, yeah, that would be really. And just looking at last year, I mean, you have AJ Terrell going 16, yeah. Damon Arnett 19. Yep. I think those big press corners are going to get pushed up to that safer three to ten area of the draft, and that's Caleb Farrelly and that's Patrick Sertan one two. I agree. Uh, let's go to our last segment here. We're going to go under the hood where we're going to pick one position and a couple of factors or traits that really matter most to us when evaluating it. And this week over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, you and I both talked about uh, San Francisco 49ers linebacker Fred Warner, one of the top players at his position in the league. I would say a top two or three linebacker in the NFL right now, especially with what he can do in coverage as a pure three down off the ball linebacker. So, uh, I feel like that's a good kind of segue into this discussion, Ben, is that for the traits that you and I are both looking for. And we can kind of go back and forth here. What's the, the first trait you want to bring up? You know, this one I really struggled with. And I sat here for almost like an hour or two with all these different ideas, trying to group together, together traits and, you know, a three down linebacker. And yeah, you want a guy with run passability. And it's like, yeah, no kidding. You know, and I just don't think that's deep enough right now for what we're looking for. My three down linebacker. And it's important to differentiate three down linebackers because Fred Warner is a three down linebacker. I got news for you. Dante Hightower is a three down linebacker too. Much different. 
he's a sub rusher on third down. He's up near the line of scrimmage, still a three down linebacker, but much different. Anthony I think we're Barr, talking Anthony Barker, yeah. example. Yep. But we're going to kind of go with the Fred Warners of the group, more of that kind of early down run fitter. And then a guy that can play in coverage and turn and run. First thing I want out of that position, you have to understand football both sides of the line of scrimmage blocking schemes from the offense. And then you have to know the collective defense and how all that relationship, your front, the other linebackers, the fits, how that all affects one another, how to make those pre-snap adjustments, not only getting yourself lined up, but knowing how to get others lined up and to understand how they're being attacked. I can't have a dummy out there as a three down linebacker. You need to be the quarterback of the defense. You need to have the instincts, the vision, the recognition, the play ID. And that all kind of goes into that one collective hopper of understanding football and having that FBI. So to your point, I think when you talk about that trait specifically, there are a lot of guys around the NFL right now that are three down linebackers that if you were to draw, you know, when they were coming out of college, you wouldn't have said, man, like, why, why the, we're, this guy's limited. He's not going to, he's not going to be a three down player. There's no way. But then you look at, at and that's exactly how they're being used in the NFL. You look at Micah Kaiser, uh, you know, coming out of he was out of Virginia a couple of years ago down with what he's doing with the LA Rams. You look at, uh, you know, Blake Martinez with the giants, right? I mean, you have, uh, there's these guys every single year who maybe they, it, it doesn't look, like, you know, this is a guy that I definitely want playing all three downs, but there's a bunch of them around the league. You know, Jawan Bentley in New England is an example. Um, you know, Josh Bynes has kind of been that guy throughout the course of his career where he's the vet getting people lined up. Anthony Walker with the Colts over the last couple of years is a good example. Um, you know, they're the guys getting people lined up, making sure that everybody's in the, you know, in the right gap. And then, you know, they're not a huge, huge liability. They're not going to be the best on, th- on third down in the past game, but not a huge, huge liability. Uh, so they kind of make up for it with other ways. So, and I'm some of the best, you know, over the past couple of years, Bobby Wagner, Luke Keekley, Levante David, you know, Fred Warner. These are the guys that are, you know, collectively in the thousand snap group, you know, year after year. Yep. And that's the thing is that when you have the other tools that we'll talk about and then you have those intangibles, now that's where you're kind of, you know, promote yourself to that upper echelon. I just mean like, those are the guys, like if you're talking about some of those other guys where you say like, I I just don't know if this guy's got the ability to make it. It's because they've got that saving grace of that, you know, uh, the, the FBI and things of that nature uh, to get guys ready to me. I'm going to go, we'll go over to the physical side here. A combination of athleticism, because I think we, we, we know athleticism is important, but also it's the combination of the athleticism with that ability to play through contact and, and kind of taking that back to Fred Warner. I mean, just he was a, a ridiculous athlete. You know, he was an outside linebacker in a 3-4 scheme at BYU the last couple of years. He played over the slot. Uh, he'd be matched up with receivers in space, and he did all kinds of things. But then you watch him when he was stacked in, in nickel sets, and he'd show the ability to defeat blocks one-on-one. He'd take on a pulling guard. And even if he wasn't like a pure, like stack and shed guy, he would get overwhelmed by by, uh, bigger blockers at times. But he had the ability to defeat blocks in space, you know, and he would, it wouldn't be like stack and shed necessarily all the time, but it would be, Hey, I'm going to wipe the hands of this guy. I'm going to dip and slip this blocker and get the ability, have the ability to still, you know, get there and make the, make the play on the football to me, that's a, that's a one thing I'm looking for is not just the athleticism, but that ability to also play through contact because in the NFL, playing linebacker, you're going to have to play through contact. I mean, in that linebacker position, you're playing on the highway. You have cars flying in front of you, behind you, going through. There's traffic everywhere. You're always going to have contact, not only playing through traffic, sorting through the trash and on your way to making plays to the ball carrier. So I'm going to stay with the physical side as well. Okay. And collectively, 
explosive movement patterns. Mm. And I need a linebacker, not necessarily to be a blazer in a linear fashion or to have great foot speed uh, or long speed, but I need you to have explosive movement patterns, burst speed, the closing speed, in pursuit, in coverage, stepping downhill, attacking ball carriers, finishing tackling. That's all short area explosive movements. I need that one or two steps to be explosive, to get where you're going, to beat that blocker, to insert downhill into your gap, to beat maybe that backside guy trying to climb up to that next level, or maybe taking that proper angle. I don't need you to be a 4-4 blazer, but I need you to have explosive movement patterns based on where you're going and what you're reading. And I think that kind of carries over to a variety of ways of playing that linebacker position. Yeah, and the other thing, we've talked about this on the show before, explosiveness translates to power. So you're, again, when you're talking about that ability to play through contact, guys that are explosive in their lower half, you know, have that, that usually translates to that ability to shock a block, right? Like get into, you know, and, and be able to play through contact. So, uh, you know, to your point, that those explosive movements uh, typically translate into other areas of the game as well. Um, for me, I'll go back to the mental side here. Just the, the not just the pre-snap in terms of like alignments and getting guys ready, but also the play recognition, right? And the, the people would just say like instincts, but, you know, being able to key and diagnose quickly all right figure out run pass so all right so figure out am i entering into the run fit or am i getting to my uh, responsibility and coverage in reverse but it's that ability to do that so fast and then you know put yourself in position to make a play the thing that we talked about with fred warner and i thought you brought up you brought up such a great point with him was that in coverage one of the things that makes him so good is he has a very good understanding of not just what the, you know the, what's happening on the field but how, understanding hey you know what it's a three by one set it's pay it's third down it's third and seven and that we're playing cover two the offense knows we're probably playing cover two that's our go-to coverage on third down i'm dropping down the seam out of a three by one set if i see a vertical route from the number three receiver there's probably a dig route coming behind that they're probably running something to attack the middle of the field they're trying to stretch me vertically and hit me underneath and then you see him break on throws early and jump the route that's the kind of play recognition you see in the pass game. It's not just in the run game of, oh, he's a step early, getting downhill. That, that is part of it. But it's that overall play recognition skills uh, to be able to see what's coming before it happens. Being more proactive than reactive. That's something I'm looking for all the time at the linebacker spot. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Just that understanding on how you're being attacked, I think, can put you in positions to anticipate action coming your way. And then an extension of the explosive movement patterns is just tackling you have to be able to tackle the ball carrier. And I'd like to get it to more of an archaic conversation because that's the name of the game. And I love hearing Bill Belichick talk about defense because he breaks it down to such a simplistic manner. At the end of the day, we have 11 guys and we need to get the ball on the ground. We need to get the ball carrier down. We need all 11. My number one trait I need in corners, you got to be able to tackle. I just love that kind of archaic mentality of we have to get the ball carrier down. And for a linebacker, that means operating in space. That means operating in a phone booth. That means being able to tackle when a blocker is on a half man of you or on your back or maybe getting stiff armed in the face and face mask. It's that whole mentality of like a boxer. You have to be able to punch while you're getting punched. And I think that all kind of goes into, I need you to be able to tackle, but I need you to be explosive. I need you to be tough. I need you to play through contact. And it's just at the end of the day, you got to get the ball carrier down by any means necessary. And you're going to get put in a lot of different scenarios to do it. But at the end of the day, get the ball carrier down. 
Those are, so it's a perfect segue into my final one, which I just wrote down, you know, toughness and competitiveness. And uh, it's a want to in terms of being able to play that position. You can't just be, um, you know, it goes with what my first court point was, which was playing through contact. You're going to deal with contact in the NFL. That is a part of doing it. And I, it's not just the, because that toughness, it doesn't just show up with all oh, this guy. Look, look at this guy just take on this block and make the play. That, that certainly is a part of it. But it's also, you can kind of see the guys where they're not phased playing in traffic. You know, we see this with safeties all the time. You know, that's what I look for, um, you know, with players that you're going to say are, are the prototypical strong safety in today's game. You've got to be able to play close to the line of scrimmage. We've seen it here uh, in Philadelphia. I think we've seen it in a couple of weeks with Jalen Mills. We've seen it over the last few years with Malcolm Jenkins. You see it, you know, going to the college ranks. That's one of the reasons why I feel like Jacoby Stevens from LSU, yeah, like he could play safety. A lot of people view him as a safety. I think he could make that transition to be a stud linebacker because he is so comfortable playing in traffic and have and that that mental toughness allows him to be comfortable right and so that to me like that now he's comfortable he's able to make plays he's able to key and diagnose he's not worried about dealing with contact because you know what i i got this i'm good I can, I can defeat this block i can defeat this crack block coming from the perimeter i don't have to take my eyes off the football and try and deal with this contact and defeat this first before now getting over and making the play the guys that have that level of toughness and competitiveness are the guys that are able to thrive yeah, and you almost see that through the confidence in the way they play as well. Yep. And we, I call it out all the time. Look at him beat this block without even looking at it. Exactly. Keeping his eyes up, anticipating the action, trusting his strength, his technique, and just being a competitive, strong player. I love seeing that on tape. So one of the things that I love kind of doing, and we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks here in this segment, is we know like the these are the traits that we look for in terms of separating like the good players from bad players. But what is it that makes like the elite players at this position, we're talking about the three down off ball linebackers. Where, what separates like the elite from the good? Is there something in your mind that you can say you can kind of pinpoint and say like, yeah, like this is what you know the the elite players look like in this position? You've brought up some of the names already, uh, Hardy, in this segment. You know, this is a really tough conversation for me because I, you know I think we're both in a way going to say, well, you got to make plays. You know, you want to make know. you want to make the impact plays, and you want exactly what I've written. It's exactly what I have written down. You know, you want to get stops. And then I'm looking at who's the best in the league and the Warners and the Bobby Wagners and the Keekleys. And I've really come to assess what separates the elite from the good. We cannot have interchangeable players at this position. If you're the quarterback of the defense, you need to be available. And when I look at the best linebackers across the league, they are the most reliably available players. Yep. Bobby Wagner has played a thousand snaps for like eight or nine straight years. Malcolm Jenkins, you know, we call him a linebacker, you know, uh, uh, Fred Warner has played 2000 snaps in his first two years in the NFL. You have to be available. And now what does that mean? That means mental toughness, physical toughness, understanding the difference between being hurt and being injured, knowing how to practice, you know, when you're dealing with things and all that stuff during the week and being mentally there while you're dealing with injuries. And at the end of the day, Frank, I need you to be there for me. I need to be able to trust you're going to fight through maybe a nick or a ding in that fourth quarter and keep showing up. And I don't really know what the collective word I'm trying to say about these players. I know it's kind of a different narrative yep. to talk about, but I need you to be available for me. Mm-hmm. And there's so many good productive linebackers that just can't fight through the wear and tear because it's a physical, violent area of the field. Why is the linebacker position not viewed like the running back position? 
in yeah. sense of, you know, career longevity, physicality and dealing with it, just the wear it puts on your body and your knees and your back. And that linebacker position is brutal. And I think we're going to slowly get to that conversation of just wanting guys that can play and be available on a week to week basis. Well, and that's why, like at the, the beginning, you brought that up. Like, I just want guys that, that are playmakers that are around the football. Those are the ones where you say like, yeah, like there, there's the check the box. Like, Hey, he can do his job. He can be there and, you know, and get, and get it done. And you can, obviously you can win with those guys. Teams all around the NFL have won plenty of games without having that playmaker uh, at the linebacker position. But I think it's interesting because it's so tough to put a to put a finger on that, you know. And with with Fred Warner again, just going back to it, just with, we've talked about him so much this week uh, offline. That production w- was visible in college. You saw that at BYU, I mean, a ton of interceptions. I, I think I said in the in our on the the other podcast on Eagle Line the Sky, two of his seven interceptions uh, went for touchdowns. He had like twenty some uh, pass breakups in college. He had a bunch of forced fumbles. Guys that are just stuffing the stat sheet and finding different ways to do so. And there, and as you mentioned earlier, you talk about uh, you know guys like Anthony Barr uh, or a guy like Rashawn Evans or John Hightower or not John Hightower. Uh, uh, a high tower from from New England, yeah, Dante. Yeah. Dante, thank you. Um, they rush the passer on third down, right? They, they they find ways to be able to be impactful. Jamie Collins, right? Uh, they find ways to be able to say, okay, like I'm going to impact the game as a pass rusher in coverage. I'm an eraser versus the tight end. I'm going to make plays in the middle of the field as a whole player. You know, I'm Ray Lewis. If you run over this area of the field, like, uh, you know, the, the ball, you, either the ball is going to be in my hands or it's going to be on the ground. It's not going to be, uh, you know, in your hands. And I think you look at why did Corey Littleton get paid money by the, LA, the, the Las Vegas Raiders um, this past off season, leaving the Rams. He was a playmaker for the Rams last year. That was a huge loss for that Rams defense. He was all, you know, interceptions, forced fumbles, fumble recoveries. Like, um, you know, you, you see him as a blitzer. You find ways to be able to make plays on the football. Though, And you need those traits that we've talked about already over the last 10 minutes. You need those traits in order to be able to make those plays. But I think that there's just some guys that just have that knack, man, that, to, to be able to finish it and just be around the ball. It's just really tough to be able to put a nose your finger on it because – you look at it like Bobby Wagner, third round pick, Fred Warner, third round pick, Deion Jones, second round pick, but Luke, Luke Keekley went top 15. Anthony Barr went top 15. I'm just going through like top names here. Eric Kendrick's second round, Levante David, second round, Quan Alexander, second round, Jordan Hicks went third round. Tremaine Edmonds went top 15, top 20. Leighton Vander Esch was top 20, but it's a wide variety of like guys that, you know, in terms of where they were drafted in terms of who were the top guys in the league. But that same trait shows up and it's just, it's, it's tough to kind of put that, put your finger on exactly how you quantify that. And really fast. Let's just put some, some names and faces of what we're talking about. We mentioned those elite guys, but who are those guys maybe stuck in that good category that aren't giving us that kind of extra dimension. I think that's the, you know, to hear whiteheads of the NFL, the Blake Martinez is the NFL guys that are quarterbacks of the defense, rarely off the field, good players, solid players, reliable players, but just not making enough of those impact plays on the ball, whether it's the turnovers, the plays on the opposite side of the line of scrimmage. I think that's when teams get in really interesting conversations on looking at these players to say, he's good. He's a three down player. Can it be upgraded though? And I think when you look at some guys like Martinez and Whitehead, good, reliable players, but just not making enough of those impact plays that you need to really be an elite linebacker. 
So who are some guys that we've watched in this class that kind of fit this mold? You know, there, there, are, there are the elite players like a Micah Parsons, right, from Penn State, uh, who, by the way, did officially say he is not going back um, to Penn State. So he has officially opted out for the 2020 season. But you look yeah. down at Dylan Moses at Alabama. You look at Nick Bolton at Missouri. Uh, these are guys that, to me, like, have that ability to be those playmakers. All three of these guys have the physical traits to be – Sideline to sideline, downhill, explosive movement patterns, power, uh, ability to finish his tacklers. Now it's like, all right, like, what do you bring from the off the field? Because that's what elevates those guys uh, to now. Oh, yeah, they can set the defense, be the quarterback of that side of the ball, and all, and all that. But those are the guys to me that really stand out. Well, you take the low hanging fruit, the Micah Parsons, the Dylan Moses, the big sexy linebackers that are going in the first round. But who could maybe be that second round Bobby Wagner, that third round Fred Warner? And I see the second round, Bobby Wagner, that might be Chaz Surratt out of North Carolina, the three down player, captain of that defense, former quarterback. That certainly helps understanding offensive attacks. And how about Jabril Cox, North Dakota State coming down to LSU, a great cover linebacker. He reminds me a ton of Fred Warner at BYU, playing out in space, detached from the box quite often, long limbs, or maybe a Pete Warner at Ohio State, who's a really good cover linebacker. I could see him kind of falling into the late day two conversation because of his ability to cover. So there's, you know, you don't necessarily have to be a first round guy to find one of these players, but obviously Michael Parsons, uh, Dylan Moses, Nick Bolton, they're pretty good looking players too. I'm glad you brought up Surratt because I, I feel like he is, you know, it, Don't with you just another feel like full that's year. that type yeah. of like pedigree of what you're looking for. He may not blaze in Indianapolis. He may not have those impact plays. I think he, he could, will, which is scary. <laughs> he's a tough player. Yeah, yeah. He, he thumps when he gets to the ball carrier. I can see he kind of reminds me of that Bobby Wagner coming out of uh, where is it Utah State? The Utah State. Yeah, it's, there's it's a good linebacker class. There are a bunch of guys in this group that I, I think have the ability to really be impactful. You and I talked about the 2018 group and on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. That one was chock full of players that uh, have made an impact so far. We might Jacoby see Stevens might be like a Malcolm Jenkins in yeah. the NFL. He might be a, you know, a safety early down and come down and be your dime linebacker and live and breathe in the box, you know, for 90% of his, uh, his snaps. Yep, I, I totally, totally, totally agree. So, Ben, uh, this is a fun one, man. Hopefully, uh, you guys all at home have enjoyed this conversation. Now, we're going to get things going here with our next guest. That's Ben Solak here and Mr. Relevant. Until then, Ben, thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Driven by AAA. We'll talk to you early next week. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, joining me this week here on Mr. Relevant on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, a guy who has been on this show a couple times already, and that is Ben Solak. He is over at the Draft Network, uh, Bleeding Green Nation. You can follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. Ben, welcome back to the show, my man. Yeah, I think last time I was on, I think it was Shrine Bowl. Yes. Hopefully I said one good thing about James Robinson. Find that. Look real Ooh, smart. I, I'm not I'll sure I did, what. though. I, you know what? You, so you know me. You know how crazy I am with stuff. Yeah. I actually have that rundown. I have my notes from that interview. So if you give me one hot second, I might be able to find exactly who you talked about. I'm, and I'm pretty sure I said something about Onwenu, who just – Michael Onwenu just took a start for the, uh, the Patriots here at left guard and looks pretty good. But, I mean – Offensive lineman late drafted by the Patriots. He's going to be good no matter who he is. Sure. But, yeah, so, that, I think Shrine Bowl was last time I was on, yeah. I think so. So uh, while I'm looking up the answer to that question, I will ask <laughs> you my first question. We're obviously, we're a few weeks into college football now. I want to know who's caught your eye. Who, who has made you go, hmm, to the point like, uh, you know, you either need to start doing more work on him or you need to start working on him, period. I know you obviously you studied a lot of these guys over the summer, but who has really piqued your interest so far through the first few weeks of the season? 
Yeah, the the guy who really stood out to me right away was Joshua Moore, who's a, a wide receiver for Texas. And Texas had a ton of turnover at wide receiver. Lost Colin Johnson uh, to the Jaguars. Devin Duvernay just had that kick return touchdown for the Ravens on the NFL draft. So a ton of inexperience. Moore came through. I believe he was a three-star recruit. No, he's a four-star recruit, excuse me, uh, to Texas. He misses his sophomore season. For the entire year, he had, he was charged with unlawful possession of a firearm in the state of Texas. Was suspended for the entire year, uh, so he doesn't get any looks, any touches in that 2019 offense. 2020, so many balls, so many opportunities left to, to the, that gap to fill, and Moore's been the guy. He's been Sam Ellinger's most targeted receiver. He had a. a Productive day against UTEP in week one, but against Texas Tech in week two, and that absolute barn burner, 63 to 56. Joshua Moore had three touchdowns. He was the go to third down target. He was the go to red zone target. It's very clear this is the guy to whom Ellinger wants to throw the football in those critical situations. Sco- scored the go-, go ahead and game tying touchdown a- at the end of the game. Listed at 6'1, 169, which I think he's bigger than that, but he is a little bit of a thin guy. So that's an important thing to note. But he's willing to play contested. He's willing to catch tough balls. He's a tough runner. He went out in that game for injury a little bit, heard that the team had fallen behind and put himself back in the game from the locker room. And that's when their offense really took off. So tough guy, some great hands so far. He's been the go to guy in that Texas offense. So excited to see him back. And he looks like he's a legit NFLer. I love that. We're going we're gonna to be talking a little bit about the Longhorns and their uh, their next matchup here in the next segment on pick six uh, against TCU. Ben, uh, the next thing, um, you know, likewise, look, we're a few weeks into the NFL season as well. Uh, we're in week four. You're obviously someone who follows the Eagles very closely. Is there a player or two that you've studied that you've kind of earmarked as somebody that you feel would be a good fit in, in Philadelphia from what you've seen so far? Yeah, uh, I, I, we're both Nick Bolton fans, the Mizzou linebacker. Yes, but we are. Yeah, there's another speedy linebacker named Jeremiah Wusukoromo in Notre Dame. I'm, I'm sure that you've watched him and you've seen him play a little bit. Yes. Um, but it's funny, Kyle Krabs, with whom I work at the Draft Network, I know he's been on the show before, he, uh, we were talk- we, he has this down in his scouting report, we were talking about him. He's like Davian Taylor with high-level instincts. Eagles drafted Davian Taylor in the third round, you know, out of Colorado. And Taylor, with such great athletic ability, the the book on him was he was going to take time because he was late to playing in the in, in high school. You know, he was a JUCO guy, moved to Colorado. He needed more experience. He needed more time to develop those instincts. Owusu Koromoa, who plays that rover position, 6'2", 215, is the most recent listing Notre Dame's had him as. I think he's heavier. Uh, he plays that rover, flex over number two, flex over number three, safety, linebacker, hybrid position, and he does. He plays it really well, really smart, really aggressive. First game against Duke for Notre Dame was a masterclass in just shutting down plays to the boundary, taking away the quick game, taking away the easy stuff for the quarterback. Notre Dame's obviously dealing with, with a ton of COVID tests right now, I think 25 positive cases i'm not sure if we see notre dame football again for the rest of the year which is a, a tough reality but owusu kormo who's firmly on nfl radars uh clearly had that good opening performance like mm. i said i think he's heavier which is a big box to check he's the guy that the eagles want they want speed on defense they want those hybrid overhang players they went after with davian taylor owusu kormo is another good option Interesting. Yeah, and I like the comparison there with him uh, and Davion Taylor. Certainly very similar roles uh, to how they were used uh, in college. Um, One guy I saw you tweeting about over the weekend, I want to ask you about, Texas Tech wide receiver T.J. Vasher. Now, he's a senior this year. He first stood out to me back in 2018. I was studying his teammate, Antoine Mm -hmm. Wesley. Uh, This kid is 6'6". He's right around 200 pounds. Um, What did you see from him Saturday? I was not watching that game on Saturday. Uh, And just how do you uh, project him moving forward into the NFL? Yeah, Texas kept him quiet for a while. Uh, they, they, Texas Tech was was looking in other directions, going in other ways. They clearly wanted to 
batting down on TJ Vasher and understandably so. And then TJ Vasher caught himself a, a slant, broke a tackle and took it into the red zone. And then he had what was a wild potential game winning touchdown for Texas yep. tech on the back pylon. TJ Vasher makes the, dumbest catches I've ever seen. It's just, I, I, I call him Inspector Gadget because, I mean, the, the length on this guy, both on his arms and his legs, like he is high-waisted 6'6". He is a leggy dude. It's what helps him open up down the field. It's what helps him elevate. He's, again, like he's another thinner guy, like 6'6", 200. That's not a dense body frame, but he is tough, and he makes concentration adjustment catches like you wouldn't believe. Uh, so he's, he's going to be a tricky one because a lot of those guys, I, I think about Marcel Aitman at Oklahoma State, where just everything was just contested catch and adjust. It, the league doesn't necessarily value them too much because if the athleticism isn't there, then you're not really making yak out of that. You're not necessarily separating. It's a pretty limited route tree. But it's also hard to deny the guy who just throw it to him and he catches it. I mean, that's pretty simple. It's pretty easy. It helps out young quarterbacks. So Vasher's an interesting one. He's been at Texas Tech forever, and he's been doing this forever. Uh, so it's a very clear, defined eval and role that he's got. Depends on on who ends up valuing in him and where he lands. Well, that touchdown uh, against Texas this weekend was something else for sure. Yeah, man. Uh, uh, so, all right, let's get to uh, some guys that you are higher on than everybody else. And, and you know, you mm-hmm. listen to the podcast, and I've had you on before. I love asking this question uh, to guests that come on. Who is a guy on offense that you feel like, all right, I'm a little bit higher on than everybody else uh, in the media sphere? It's tricky. I went through a lot of names. I didn't want to bring up another Texas kid, and I wanted mm. to talk about Sammy Cosme, who's the, the left tackle there, six seven, three hundred, as athletic as they come. I, he's a guy who, to me, if Colin Miller's going top 10, then I think Samuel Cosme is a guy we should be having a conversation about in the first round. Um, but I'll look at Chris Olave, the wide receiver out of Ohio yes. State, who, to me, yeah, I'm excited for Big Ten football to come back for a lot of reasons. Chris Olave is a big one. Uh, we, we have a clear wide receiver one in this class in Jamar Chase at LSU we have a clear tier two group that's got Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota Rondo Moore to Purdue Olave deserves mention potentially in that group it does not get smoother than Chris Olave in terms of route running for a player as, as a true sophomore who is behind so many good receivers behind KJ Hill behind Terry McLaurin did not get opportunity for him to be as polished as he is is obnoxious it's ridiculous and, and when he gets further volume which you started to see him get at the end of last season uh, I think he's really going to shine not only for that polish but for that long speed and so when you look at what Terry McLaurin's done as a third round pick now in Washington emerging as that wide receiver one he was never really the primary target for Ohio Stakes they just had too many weapons I see a similar situation for Chris Olave where just the inundation of NFL talent in the Buckeyes program prevents Olave from getting the recognition he deserves man if you like Van Jefferson last year and you wanted him to be faster. Chris Olave, he's a good film to watch. He is he is just so sharp with everything. It's so good at what he does, baby. He is he is so much like a guy that I wrote down, and I'm not I'm not even trying to make a joke here. You're probably a little bit young for this because he was a he you were just at, at this point just embracing him as a fan. But like Chad Ochocinco, like was just right. his feet were silly, his mm-hmm. routes were sharp, his releases were ridiculous, and that's kind of how I look at Olave. Uh, he still has a little bit of refinement to do, but man, like everything he does is just really, really impressive. Um, same question: Go to the defensive side. Who, who's a guy that you're higher on that plays D? Uh, all right, we'll stay in the state of Ohio. We'll go deep cut on this one. AAC for you. Ooh. James Wiggins is back from injury, and I'm thrilled. 
is a safety out of Cincinnati. And Cincinnati's got a really good secondary. That program, Luke Fickle coaches them well and recruits them well. James Wiggins, Derek Forrest, good safety there. Ahmad Gardner is one of the best underclassmen corners, not named Derek Stingley. But James Wiggins, the captain of that, that program, captain of that secondary. He lost the entire season last year to an ACL, back for, for 2020. Free safety, rotates down into the box, plays slot corner, has man coverability, extremely versatile along the back end. Is he the biggest dude on the face of the planet? Six foot, 200. I think they might be lying with that one. I'm not sure he's six foot. Uh, so he might be a guy uh, of your LaMarcus Joyner mold, of your Buda Baker mold, who moves around for you, who, 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 you know, plays deep to close downhill, who plays in the slot to take away quick receivers. But he is very intelligent, has great ball skills. The big box for Wiggins to check. Cincinnati's had two games this year against Austin P against Army. So the pass defense hasn't necessarily been tested the way he'd like for it to be tested yet. The big box for Wiggins to check is if his athleticism is 100% returned. If it is, this is an exciting guy when you look at, you know, like think about Philadelphia and, and trying to figure out who fills that Malcolm Jenkins role with Jalen Mills and with Nickel Roby Coleman. That role is important for a lot of teams. James Wiggins is a good candidate to fill it. So uh, you'll be happy to know that I went back and I pulled your interview results from the All last right. two appearances, not just from the Shrine Bowl, but also from uh, earlier last fall. I asked you a few questions. I'm going to get, I'm going to give you a couple of refreshers. Okay. So I asked you what's, who's a player that has gone completely out of nowhere to being squarely in the discussion as a first round pick. Uh, we met, you mentioned Javon Kinlaw, Kenneth Murray, Joe Burrow. All right. So three for three. The other guy you mentioned is, is in this class and that is Ohio state corner. Sean Wade. What are yeah. your thoughts on uh, Sean Wade, a guy that we're going to be able to see with the return of Big Ten football? Yeah, Sean Wade is such an interesting one, right? And, and with the return of Big Ten football, like you said, we get the film of him at outside corner, and I think that's important. When when Wade decided to declare for the NFL draft in the wake of Big Ten postponing football to the spring, uh, I was, I, I you know, we all had to kind of sit down with that question, and ask, have we seen enough from Sean Wade from a yep. film perspective and an athleticism perspective to take him round one? And for me. By the time you got to that end of the first round, yeah, I was willing to do it. Even if you didn't know you were going to start him outside, didn't know what he was going to be, that's an extremely talented young man. And with coaching, you anticipate being able to get him in a role to be successful. I mean, covering the slot, you know, in true man cover up on the line of scrimmage can be tougher than covering on the outside because you don't get the boundary to assist you. Those those slot receivers have true two-way goes. You have to be able to handle that. So I'm excited for Sean Wade. To be able to play I think that that check is very important for teams who want to make that that gamble who want to make that pick on Sean Wade certainly if he had not gotten that film out there there would have been some teams too apprehensive to take him Brown one as an outside corner but for me I still look at a player with his athletic ability his length and the the profile of coverage he's put out thus far and I say yeah I'd be confident taking this guy round one so still a big Sean Wade believer though I did not have I did not watch Caleb Farley film before mm, I spoke with yes. Sean Wade last year. Uh, we got a new corner one in this class in the, in the Solak household. That's right. All right. So a few other guys you talked about, you talked about Lucky Foto. Uh, he was a guy you were high on Jordan Elliott. Uh, you talked a little bit more about Burrow. I asked you who was a guy that you were higher on than most on the offensive side. And you said it was Tylen Wallace, the wide receiver from Oklahoma yeah, state back this year. Uh, that's right. He is back this year and he's back. He is back healthy. Thankfully uh, had a handful of catches this past week. Going back to the Shrine Bowl, you talked about five players. Uh, who's the guy that you were hoping that you mentioned? Uh, Michael James Owenu. Robinson? No, no James Robinson Dang and no it. Michael Owenu. So you're oh, 0 for 2. 0 for 2. That being said, you did mention uh, Kevin Dotson, who is starting for, nice. uh, starting for the Steelers right now. So that's, that's yeah. a W for you. Uh, Khalil Davis, you were very, very high on. I remember you were raving about Khalil Davis, uh, the defensive yeah. tackle from Nebraska. 
Uh, Derek Tuska, the defensive end from North Dakota State. You also talked about Alex Highsmith, who was making some waves for Pittsburgh. So two guys uh, that ended up with the nice. Steelers. Uh, and then Neville Clark. Uh, you also talked about the corner from, I believe he was UCF. Yeah, UCF. UCF That's with right. Neville Clark. Uh, Khalil Davis, though, made, made the roster in Tampa. I'm very, I'm happy about that did. one. I'm excited. Yeah. That's All right, I feel, I feel, I feel good with that one. I'm glad yeah. I got Kevin Dotson in there. You got man. Kevin Dotson. Kevin yeah, Dotson was really good. He was, he's he, awesome. was, he was maybe the best player down there. Uh, well, Ben, thanks so much once again for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you again soon, man. Of course, friend. I appreciate it. you. Be well. Before we continue with this episode, I want to take a second to remind everyone that we are now, I mean, we're, we're getting close. It's almost crunch time. We're about a month away from Election Day on November 3rd. And did you know that four years ago, 100 million eligible voters did not participate in the general election? I don't care who you support, but that number is crazy, crazy high. That's the same amount of people that watch the Super Bowl in America every single year. So I've got a question for you. Are you registered to vote? And if you don't know if you are, you can just double check. And all you have to do to do that is just text 26797. It is quick. It is easy. And the reason why I can say that it's quick and easy is because I just did it. Just a few days ago, I just texted that number. Again, 26797. You text Eagles. And you, say, and you can find out if you're registered to vote. If you're not registered, you can register to vote right through that mechanism. It's outstanding. And it's just a great way to make sure that we all get our voices heard. It is so important for you to vote. All these things that matter every single day, all these decisions that are made to get decided by the people that we elect into office, not just at the national level, but at the state level, the local level. It is so important. And if you don't vote, you surrender that right. You surrender that power. So make sure you get out and vote on November Now 3rd. it's time for Pick 6. Well, back again for another Pick 6 segment, my friend Ross Tucker. Ross, uh, do you you made up a little bit of ground. I was I was kind of looking at our, at our current tally right now here and this competition that we're doing weekly. Uh, you currently sit at 10 and 8. I am at uh 12 and 6 so we are uh two i believe two two games back yeah so it's it's a it's a close one right now man i like it i'm just glad i'm i'm above 500 on my own picks that just makes me <laughs> feel a lot better that and i'm not uh below 500 that's not good if you're making picks so at least i'm 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 picking more winners than losers uh, for our little fun thing here you had a uh, you had a good week this week. You only had one loss, and it was it was actually on the Tylen Wallace over under. I set that bad boy at six and a half catches against West Virginia. He ended up with six, and I, and I took the over. Oh. And you took the under. So uh, or, or the opposite. I took the under. You took the over. Uh, so I came up with the, with the W there. But uh, no, it was uh, it was a good week this week. We had a lot of, of really fun games to be able to watch. We talked about them all earlier this week with uh, Ben Fennel and Dane Brugler. Let's get into this week's picks, man. And we'll start right at the top. Uh, Texas Tech, Kansas State, Big 12 action. And obviously, Kansas State, huge upset win over Oklahoma. Texas Tech nearly gets the huge upset win over the top 10 Texas Longhorns. They take Texas to overtime, and they're able to come through Texas uh, with that win. So Texas Tech nearly gets the upset. Kansas State pulls one off. Who do you like here in this matchup straight up? You know, this is a good matchup, Fran, because – they're both primed for a letdown. You know, right, they exactly. both should have a letdown after, you know, Texas Tech going into overtime. They had that lead and blew it. Kansas State, I mean, how about them two years in a row? I mean, Fran, yeah. there's not a guy on Kansas State's roster 
that wouldn't have gone to Oklahoma if Oklahoma <laughs> offered him a full ride. I mean, it's, I mean, maybe there's one guy, maybe, but probably not. I'm going to go Kansas State for that reason. I, I feel like if you win like Kansas State did, then you've got that momentum. You're feeling good about yourself. We know what the coach did at North Dakota State. Whereas Texas Tech, I just think letting it slip the way they did, I think that's going to be tough for them to bounce back from in terms of being resilient, adversity. Give me, uh, give me Kansas State. Well, this could be a big one for us. I'm actually going to go the other way. And I do like Chris Kleiman. I like that coaching staff uh, that they've put together at Kansas State. I just look at Texas Tech, and I, and I like what they're doing offensively as well. Um, you know, we talked about T.J. Vasher in the last segment with Ben Solak. Uh, I look at this group for Texas Tech, and I kind of wonder, if they, maybe they bounce back a little bit. I went back and looked, what did Kansas State do after they beat Oklahoma last year? Did they let down? They did not. They did follow that game up with a win. I was very close to taking KSU, but I, I'm going to go Texas Tech here uh, picking this game. So we'll see. This could be a, a big determining factor of, of where we sit in the standings next week. Uh, Auburn at Georgia. Let's go to the SEC now. Again, straight pick them here. Uh, Auburn, big win over Kentucky. Georgia, very convincing win over Arkansas. But both teams kind of struggled on offense out of the gate. JT Daniels, the quarterback transfer from USC, did not play for Georgia this week. Um, he apparently is cleared to practice now, so we'll see if he's able to line up uh, this uh, this Saturday under center. Um, despite that big win, they just kind of struggled. They played two different quarterbacks. Uh, they were able to get some better play out of the junior that stepped in Georgia, but overall, uh, offensively wasn't really pretty. On the other side, though, Auburn with Bo Nix, he is the hell, he's healthy at quarterback for the Tigers. He uh, looked pretty good last week, and, and you know, I think when you look like um, you know, at the the weapons, the supporting cast here, you know, Bo Nix, he might not have the best one. I think George Pickens is the best receiver on the field. Uh, he's the sophomore for Georgia. He is a stud. Um, but you look on the other side, Auburn's got Seth Williams. They've got Anthony Schwartz. Interesting to see where you go here, man. And both teams obviously have talent on defense as well. Yeah, so as we're talking, right, we don't know what, you know whether or not it'll be JT Daniels or not. Or I, I know he's been cleared, but what they're going to do there. I'm going Auburn. Uh, I watched Georgia. Their quarterback situation's a little dicey. I think that they're still trying to figure that out. You know, when you got three quarterbacks, you got none. I'm going to go ahead. I'll take Auburn to win this game. I'm with you on this one. I, I like Auburn as well. Um, I do like Georgia's defense. Uh, they've got some players, especially in that front seven. The, the corners actually are really good, too. There's, there's some really good matchups in the secondary in this game. But, uh, you know, Georgia, and the other thing, too, Georgia has won eight of 10 uh, against Auburn in this matchup, but I, I'm still going to go with the Tigers here. Um, you know, that Georgia front seven, if they can rattle Bo Nix, maybe they can make enough plays to pull it out, but uh, I'm taking the team with the more proven quarterback situation. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, I'm taking the more sure bet on Bo Nix, who uh, looked pretty good last week in the 2020 debut. All right, let's go to the next one here. Oklahoma, uh, you know, they're coming off, the, obviously, the tough loss against Kansas State. They take on the Iowa State Cyclones here in uh, week, what is this, week five now in college football. Bigger number in this one. Spencer Rattler completions, he's the quarterback for Oklahoma, or Oklahoma's margin of victory over Iowa State. I'm going to go Spencer Rattler completions. Mm. I, I don't think Oklahoma's that great this year. They're having some major issues. I think Iowa State, they just got to win – over TCU. I think Iowa State is going to be able to hang with Oklahoma. I think Rattler 
gets over 20 completions easy. I don't think Oklahoma wins by that much. I'll take the Rattler completions to be higher. I, I will as well. If you remember last year, uh, Iowa State nearly upset Oklahoma, and that Oklahoma team was obviously loaded. Uh, it was a 41-42 to 42 game last year. This is a team that tip, they, they typically play each other really tight. Uh, I, I like the fact – Spencer Rattler, uh, I don't know how much of that game you watched last week, Ross, but uh, he definitely struggled, especially second half. I mean, he, he had some bad decisions, uh, some misfires on some throws. Um, you know, obviously talented player, but I'll still take the, the Rattler completions. I'll look for Oklahoma to come out and still take this win. Uh, bigger number here. North Carolina linebacker Chaz Surratt, who I love. I, I'm really, really intrigued by this kid. Uh, watching on TV earlier this season uh, in their opener, but studying him over the summer, uh, watching him on film. Really, really impressive. Former top recruited quarterback. Started his career as a as the starting quarterback there at North Carolina. Had some issues as a sophomore. Made the move to linebacker. Was an all all ACC player last year. He's athletic. He's rangy. He's physical. Really, really impressive player. So you've got Chasserat tackles, or North Carolina's margin of victory over Boston College. And you know, it's not like a gimme there. Boston College uh, certainly looked pretty good. That offense has a little bit more juice uh, with that new system there. Uh, what are your thoughts on North Carolina and Boston College? This is a tough one. Uh, this is a real tough one. Boston College is a, uh, a decent underdog in this game. So I can see the margin of victory for North Carolina, you know, being being a decent one, Surratt's a stud. I kind of think Boston College hangs. It's a home game. I mean, I, honestly, Fran, I think it's about the – it's almost like a push. I think it's probably 7 to 10 points UNC wins by, 7 to 10 Surratt tackles. I'll take the margin of victory just because that's a lot of tackles. I'll, I'll take the margin of victory being more than Surratt tackles. Dude, I, I – I went back and forth on this one, and I actually had written down North Carolina margin, but the more just talking about the game and just thinking about it, I think I'm going to take the Surratt tackles, man. I, I, this is going to be – and we know Boston College, look, it's a new coaching staff. You know, Steve Adasi is not there to run power uh, up the A gap and up the B gap, you know, 47 times in this matchup. So it's not like they're going to be running right at Surratt on every single play. But he is rangy. You know, they did a lot of things in the screen game last week, Boston College against Duke. I would expect to see some more of that. Uh, he's got that ability to get outside the sidelines. I'm going to take the Surratt tackles. We'll, we'll make this interesting. Uh, I'll go the opposite way here on our fourth matchup. All right, let's go number five here. Over under five and a half catches for Clemson wide receiver Amari Rogers. He is their leading receiver so far in terms of receptions. Uh, the senior Really fun player to watch. Uh, Ross, I don't know if, you, if you've watched him yet, but uh, he was a big-time recruit. He's the kid who came back in like four and a half months from torn ACL surgery last year. He tore his ACL in the spring and came back and played in like October. Um, but when you look at Amari Rogers going up against Virginia, uh, over under five and a half catches for the senior in this game. Ooh. Um, I'll go over. I think Virginia will be able to hang. I think Clemson will have to play their guys for a while. I think Rodgers gets six or seven grabs in the game. You know, college football, they just run so many plays. But I think Virginia's good enough to hang and, and make Clemson play three and a half quarters at least. I think Rodgers gets to six. 
Yeah, he had five for 90 against Wake Forest in that blowout a couple weeks ago. Obviously, they had the off week last week. Uh, some of the young receivers, Frank Ladson and Joseph Nagata, have really stood out uh, so far as we expected them to for this Clemson Tigers team. Uh, no Justin Ross, obviously. They lose T. Higgins to the NFL. Uh, but I think when you look at Amari Rodgers, uh, I'm going to take the over as well. I'm going to guess that he take, gets at least six catches uh, in this matchup against uh, UVA. All right, last one, new category. We had, Dude, we had so many big upsets and – you know, we had Mississippi State. We talked about Kansas State. We had a couple other ones that I was like, oh, man, it would have been fun if we, we had the ability to kind of predict some of these. So every week we'll end this segment now with what I'll call our upset special. Just pick one big upset win, and, you know, we're, we're not going to have, like, a, a certain line of demarcation for what determines an upset, but we'll, we'll keep each other honest here. What is your big upset uh, for this weekend in terms of college football? You know, I'm going to go back to the well that is the Texas Longhorns. Um, I'm, I'm going to say that TCU finds a way to knock off the Texas Longhorns. Oh, they I had to this. exert a lot of energy to come back to beat Texas Tech, who's not very good. Uh, they gave up a ton of points to Texas Tech, had to beat them in overtime. I think it took a lot out of them, and I think TCU. Gary Patterson and his crew, I, I think they're ready to, to pounce on the Longhorns, who I think are vulnerable. So I'm, I'm going to take TCU to get the big upset. I love that. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's a nice pick there. I'm going to go to the SEC. Tennessee has been on – and we talked about this matchup last week um, or this team last week in Tennessee, that they, they ended the season hot last year. Uh, we both correctly predicted their win over South Carolina. But I'll tell you what, man, watching this Alabama-Missouri game Saturday night, complete blowout. Right, I mean, Alabama completely just dominated this game. I like the talent on Missouri's team, though. You look at Nick Bolton, I think he's one of the best linebackers in college football, the junior in the middle of that defense. I look on the offensive side, they've got an explosive kid in Tyler Beatty who had a long catch for a touchdown. I look at Larry Roundtree, who's um, you know the kind of the, the bell cow running back in that group, uh, really physical. They're down like 35-3, and he's like lowering the shoulder and finishing, dropping the boom on Dylan Moses along the sideline, like, this is a team that is going to be competitive. Uh, you know, it's a new, relatively new coaching staff there at Mizzou. I like Mizzou to get the upset here. You know, it's a, it's a home game. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to take the Mizzou Tigers over the Tennessee Volunteers, and we'll take, make that my upset pick uh, for the weekend. Ross, this was good, man. It'll be fun. This is, this is some, now that the SEC is back, it, it feels like we're a, a step closer uh, to normalcy in college football. Hopefully, uh, you know, very soon we'll see the Pac-12 and the MAC and, and some of these other conferences uh, hit the field. But uh, excited to talk through some of these games with you every single week here on Pick 6. You know, um, it's interesting because with the SEC being back, I don't want to say you, you, you forget that the Big Ten and Pac-12 aren't around. But there's enough good games now that, you know, it's it's okay. Like, there's enough good games <laughs> to talk about that. I don't want to say, I, you know, I wish the Big Ten and Pac-12 were playing, but I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that we at least have these games. We don't need them. There's no. enough good games without them. I'm glad they're coming back, but we, it feels like it's college football season. No question, man. Well, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for joining us once again on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Well, great stuff this week from Ben Fennel, Ben Solak, Ross Tucker. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We've got another big weekend of college football. Excited to talk all about it next week on Monday night, Tuesday morning show with Ben Fennel and Dane Brugler. We'll be back. We've got another new segment. We're actually going to debut for next week. So hope you guys uh, are excited for that. Really, really exciting times here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA.